This is Biblioval, the terrible book exchange podcast wherein a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find at their local libraries. For this episode of Biblioval, I read The Havoc Machine by Stephen Harper, and Mick read Joanna Haley's Seed Treasure. Blech. Welcome to Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here to walk you through two of the worst books that we could find for this week. And I'm feeling a little I'm feeling loosey goosey. A little, little loosey goosey? Yeah, I'm feeling a little loosey goosey. Righty tidy? No. Not tight not tidy at all, Susan, because I got my first massage. Oh, you did? That's right. I am a, a man who gets physically uncomfortable from getting his hair cut, and I decided that having a stranger touch my bare skin for half an hour, as opposed to not touch me with scissors for 10 minutes, was a, was a good idea. And how was that experience for you, Mick? It hurt a bunch. Yeah. You got some gross, crunchy knots I got all like, up in your back. I got like light switch knots. I got like kachunka chunka. Yeah. Like I feel the lights will go on my eyes if you leave my shoulder blade knots turned down. The other day I couldn't tell which was the knot in his back and which was his spine. Yeah, so I massaged my spine out. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Mike Tyson's spine out. Oh. Uh, it's a video game joke. Okay. But anyway, are you feeling better now after your massage? Goosier and goosier? I assume so. I don't know which one I'm more, Lucy or Goosey. Mm. How about Lefty? No. Because, you know, like, righty, tighty, lefty, Lucy. I got that the, okay. the first time, yeah. Okay. Thanks. I, hey, I mean, it is election day. Currently, I am feeling pretty lefty. Mm. Mm. Very true. Very true. <laughs> and later, I'll be... F- <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Bye, this is in Bibliophile, the intro music My to our podcast. My book sucked! The end. Fame of the Night by the Vandy Lixer off of their album Rampant. Um, I listened to another song off of that album the other day, and it was very good. I can't remember what it was called, but I just Googled uh, Babe Rampant. of the Night Elixir Rampant and then listened to the next one. It was very good. Oh, that's good. We also, uh, sorry, Elixir? What's the band's name? <laughs> The band's name is Elixir. Okay, sorry, Elixir, uh, but this podcast that uses your song that we for some reason heard on NPR one time as its po- as a, its theme song has more uh, listens on SoundCloud than your song does on YouTube, which seems very unfair. But a an internet rarity, I would assume. Yeah. Except for unless you got like one of those mega popular. Like podcasts. I feel like the the McElroy podcasts get more listens than the intro music to their podcast well i bet any one episode has more or uh, uh the music has a, more listens to it than the any one episode but all combined definitely not yeah, whereas sure. i'm not sure we've had a single episode go above 99 so maybe i shouldn't say anything you know what maybe i, I think we're doing up. just fine oh yeah okay. you know what i think you should do i think you should listen to me tell you about the havoc machine by stephen harper okay but one more quick thing what's up Everyone go to search Elixir Rampant Babe in the Night mm-hmm. and then comment that Bibliovile brought you there. I think Ooh. it'd be really funny. Also, I've been watching a lot of those like animated versions of podcasts. Someone animated a version of this podcast. 
Yeah, people who have animation skills. Yeah, Derek and his shifted Jimmy Johns is dying to leap off the oh, page. that would be hysterical. I I'm think that would be real. a great feature-length film. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win. But anyway, The Havoc Machine would also be a great feature-length feature length film, right, it Sue? It actually would not be. It was tremendously boring. Oh. And well, okay, just... moving on. Oh. So, this book should not have been boring. There are so many things in this book that should have made it really exciting and almost like a little over the top. But instead it was just like, I don't really care about what's happening. Nothing seems that exciting. I'm not invested in any of the characters at all. It's like me, IRL. Oh. (laughs) It's a very sad podcast today. Yeah, time changes, huh? Am I right, folks? Um, but some of like the major themes that are in this book, uh, so first of all, this is a steampunk book. You nice. got me a steampunk Perfect. book. Perfect. It's called The Havoc Machine. It is a novel of the clockwork empire. Very good. And so in this universe, in this world, there is a disease that turns humans into a clockworker. It's called the clockwork plague. It kills most of its victims. It turns some into clockwork zombies. And then it turns a very select few into clockworkers, which is a type of like advanced madness that first turns you into a technical genius that's capable of building really, um, like, really complex things. Can I, can I things? ask a quick question? Yeah. Does it turn you into a literal like Tin Man? TikTok robot boy. No, no. It turns oh. you into a human that can create Tin Man TikTok robot boys. Um, so one of these clock workers makes an automaton who do, looks do, and do, thinks do, do. and learns like a real boy. A real boy? A real boy. Pinocchio. So set in the clockwork empire. Um, Britain. Steampunk. Actually, so it's they, apparently the, the series. Some of it takes place in Britain. Some of it takes place in China. Mm. And in China, they revere the clockworkers. In Britain, they fear them. And uh, how are we going to get around our backward ways? This book is set in Russia, where they torture them and murder them. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's fun. So clockwork is an, is an allegory for... Everything? Everything. Okay. Yeah. That's what good allegories are. Um, Probably mostly poor people because this book, one of the central themes is like systemic inequality. Mm. Um, so they talk a lot about like... Glorious fun. The Tsar is, going, is thinking about freeing the serfs, but he's not doing it for any moral reasons. He's doing it because it's going to bring economic prosperity to Russia. So there's all this like Russian political intrigue and there's right. also a lot. Hey, it's like we're reading the newspaper. Yeah. Hey. There's also a lot of um, like they deal a lot with themes of like, prejudice and the prejudice that people have against clockworkers. Because um, spoiler alert, one of our main characters we find out is a clockworker. There's some romance. There's a big revenge oh. plot. Our main character is Thaddeus Sharp and his child was murdered by a clockworker, so he has become a clockwork killer um, it's all set against this backdrop of plague fat is a circus worker so the, we're in a circus and there's all sorts of things there then there's also this theme of like what is going to happen when machines take over and how far can we take artificial intelligence like all of these different things are going on should be a pretty action-packed book, right? Well, the thing is that as you're listing literally all of these things, I'm getting 
border with each one you bring up. Not more excited. That's exactly how I felt. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. I felt like if they had taken out half. half of this, it could have been a really exciting book. But instead, there was so much happening that it just became information overload. And I just became really tempted to skim, which is what I did a lot. But I do want to take a moment to introduce you to some of our main characters. Um, don't read ahead because there's some surprises in here. Okay. So our main character, as I mentioned, is Thaddeus Sharp. He is a sword sw- swallower in a circus. Is that a euphemism? Nope. He has also worked part-time as a knife sharpener, and he is a clockwork hunter. <laughs> Does he use his esophagus? Wait, yeah. he's worked as a knife sharpener? Uh-huh. That's like, a... he took a break from the circus for no, a while. No, I understand the, yeah. the concept of part-time work, but that's like working as like a shoe tire. Like, people are able to do that pretty easily. A knife sharpener is not a very precarious job. Well, apparently it is in the clockwork empire. Uh, we can build mechanical parrots, but we can't... Uh, Only certain people can build mechanical parrots. All right. Um, his so he was in the circus. He fell in love with someone in the circus. He stopped being in the circus. Became a part-time knife sharpener. Got married. Had a baby. Wife died in childbirth. Son was killed by a clockworker, and now he has become a clockwork hunter to get his revenge. And he wears a mechanical parrot on his shoulder named Dante. And he hates anything created by clockworkers, which would include Dante. But Dante recorded his son's last words, and so he keeps Dante around so he can hear his son's last words on repeat. Good. Sad? Weird? Yeah. Our other main character is Sophia. Sophia Eck. She is a beautiful Russian woman. She is secretly a clockworker, but she is not an evil one. What? How's that possible? Um, And she was blackmailed and threatened into the employ of our big baddie, Mr. Griffin. Um, also we have Nikolai. He is an automaton created by Mr. Griffin. He looks and acts like a little boy. He's very good at imitating and he has the ability to learn things really quickly, which is not something that automatons... I believe that's Winston. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he was constructed to be able to think for himself, which factors into the plot later. And he is obsessed with being part of a family. So when he winds up under the care of Thad and Sophia... He, like, starts insisting that they are his mom and dad, and he's a little boy, and he starts telling them... I'm a real boy! This is what a mama and a papa should do, and he's kind of very annoying. And then our Um, big baddie is Mr. Griffin. As you talk about Nikolai, I can't help but think of the Tiny Tim robot from Futurama. Yeah. That's probably kind of, like, that's kind of what Nikolai is. Okay. Then there's Mr. Griffin. He's our big baddie. Um, he's the main villain, he's a clockworker, and he is also literally a brain in a jar. Are you sure this is not <laughs> Are you sure this is not a Futurama book? I mean it could be and Haru. it would be better and less boring if it was. I suppose. He, brain in a jar, huh? This is like Fallout New Vegas and Fallout Three and Fallout Two all over again. So Lots many video brains. game references. Lots of brains in jars in the Fallout series. So yeah, our our <clears throat> main villain is a brain in a jar. Pretty easy to defeat, I would assume. This guy has a gun and a knife. Yeah. And a parrot. Which but I'm... it took him 375 pages oh, to it? do so. That's all you had to read? Oh. Tell me about all of the pages that you had to read. Remember the time that you got me 1630 whatever and it was 700 pages long? Anyway, I don't even know if I need to go into too much detail about the plot of this book because it was just so convoluted with all of the themes. But basically... Sophia and Thad both get conned by Mr. Griffin into doing things for him to help him further his plot. 
to take not over as Russia. Pl- not as plot. Take it over with an army of automatons who can reproduce and think for themselves. So. And then rid the world of people so that clockworkers are no longer persecuted. So if if robots can, like, as in, like, do it, reproduce, or build no, more? No, no. Build more robots. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So just iRobot then. Yeah, except steampunk. So it's A-Y-E comma robot. Mm-hmm. I robot. Hey robot. Um that sounded like weirdly <clears throat> Hey robot, like I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Get out of here, robot. You um robot? But in the very end, Sophia makes the brain explode. Oh, does she give it a, like a logic puzzle? Nope. She just blows it up with a grenade. <laughs> And then has to, like, scrape the brain gunk off of her shoes. Oh, gross. I mean, I know how that brain must have felt. I read a BuzzFeed list today. And it blew your mind with how great those memes were. Yeah. I was like, cats with words? Things that only 90s kids will understand? I'm a 90s kid. I don't remember that. Oh, my gosh. Let me share this with everyone I know. Number seven, though, right? Chucky's square glasses. Jelly shoes. Uh, putting hey Arnold. Putting someone's hand in front of their face and then slapping it so they slap themselves. Oh, I forgot about that one. You should write your own BuzzFeed listicle. I could go for a listicle. I'm pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, that's like, I don't even know what else to go into about this book. It was bonkers. Everyone winds up living happily ever after. Sophia and Thad and Nikolai become a real family. Except for the time when he is destroyed twice and Sophia has to fix him. And... That's a rough morning. Also, Sophia is a clock worker, and eventually, like, usually the lifetime on clock workers is about two to three years because as they build things, they go crazy. And then they eventually die. And so... It's, it's supposed to end on a happy note where, like, they become a big happy family and they're going to live together and he and, like, Thad and Sophia are going to, like, marry each other or whatever. Except we know that she's going to die within probably six months. It's like the notebook. Except the notebook has gears on it. Yeah. It was just, like, you're exactly right. It was such an overload that it became completely boring. Yeah, it, it like... It's like when a bunch of people, if one person's talking to you, then you can listen to them. And if two people are talking, you might be able to parse out some words. But it's like stepping into a crowded room talking mm-hmm. where it's actually easier to get work done if enough people are talking. Yeah. Um, even things like, I felt like Dante, the parrot that rides around on Thad's shoulder, I feel like he was supposed to be, you know how in a lot of Disney movies, there's always like the little animal character that Like Artemis doesn't... the Robot Owl from Clash of the Titans? Yeah, that one, I think. Or, like, the raccoon from Pocahontas or the little lizard from Tangled. Like, there's, like, a little there's or a little Eddie creature. Murphy from Eddie Murphy. Sure. Or uh, Eddie Murphy from Mulan. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, well, no, no, no. Mushu was different because Mushu was, like, a main character and talked. But a lot of the, the so animal the characters don't talk. The beetle from Mulan. Yes. Or the tiger from... This is weird. Why does this keep happening? The tiger from Aladdin. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the, I think that... The plates from Beauty and the Beast. I think that Dante was supposed to be something like that. And I feel like 
those things in Disney movies always like a little bit steal the show. Like you love those characters. They're cute and fun and they're funny. Like they provide comic relief. And I think that was the intent for Dante. Yeah, except he's playing a dead boy's last words. Yeah. And then the only other things that he ever says are doom, despair, destruction, and applesauce. And I think it was supposed to be funny. Like every once in a while, Dante would just be like applesauce. But you're just like, why are you around, bird? Well, I mean, I think it's funniest when it's presented in the list. Doom, despair, but it was destruction, apple It was never in a list, though. Oh. It was He would say, doom, despair, destruction. And then in response to a different thing, he would say applesauce. If it were in a list, it would have been funny. Yeah. Rewrite your book, Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper, more like Stephen Darper. Yeah. Is that it? Is that the Havoc Machine? That's the Havoc Machine. One thing that I will say, and thank you for this, is that even though this was the fourth book in the Clockwork Empire series, nothing from the previous books was referenced, so it did not feel like I was lost coming in in the fourth book. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Because that's happened pretty much every other time. Yeah, it's like a bibliophile staple as close Mm -hmm. as we get to one. Well... That's uh, the Havoc Machine. I, I don't have a lot more to say about Joanna Johanna Haley's Sea really? Treasure. I was so excited about this one. This one is dumb and bad, and it's not very well written. And in fact, the synopses of all the other books sound way better than this. the reading of this Bummer. one. Uh, it's one of those books where you can like order other books inside of this one. Where did I find this dang thing? There it is. I just want to go down the list of the other books you teased me with as being on the the thing. Uh, Velvet is the Night, which, by the way, holy cow, to start off, by Elizabeth Thornton. This is not the book that I'm reading, unfortunately. To save her family from the guillotine, Claire Devereaux agrees to become the mistress of the evil, evil corrupt commissioner, Philippe Duhet. She agrees to give her body to him, but she swears that her spirit will remain untouched. To her astonishment, Claire finds herself responding body and soul to Duhet's expert caresses. Little does Claire know, but Duhet has been abducted and she has been falling under the spell of his American twin butter- brother, Adam Dillon. <laughs> He's an American twin? An American twin. Oh, jeez. Uh, oh my goodness, I forgot about this one. Sweet Forever by Becky Lee Wyrich. Or why Rick, I assume. At 15, Juliana Duran plays with a Ouija board and catches the glimpse of a handsome sea captain, Brom Vanderzee. That's quite the name. <laughs> handsome sea captain, Brom Vanderzee, is basically my wrestling persona. <laughs> I crack myself over that. This... <laughs> This ghostly vision haunts her dreams for years. About to be wed, she returns to the Hudson River Mansion where she first encountered this apparition. She she experiences one night of actual ecstasy with her spiritual swain. Hold up. She has sex with a ghost? Yeah. Afterwards, he vanishes. Juliana crosses the the boundaries of her world to join him in a love that knows no Okay, one of us needs to read that book because I want to know how the sex with a ghost works. I want to know how sex with a ghost is... I want you to show me. <laughs> uh, I, I can't speak to a lot of what a sex with a ghost would be like, but I bet it'd be very spirited. <laughs> so I bet you can, though, tell me what sex with a mermaid would be like sex after with, reading Sea Treasure. Yeah, sex with a mermaid, Sea Treasure, that is what you are. High tide near or far. Uh, so, Sea Treasure is about a, a, a mermaid, naturally, 
Uh, and this, I believe, is supposed to be her tail on the front cover, although I thought it was a clamshell until literally... Oh, I thought it was, too. Yeah, until literally just now, but it's a, yeah. it's pretty fuzzy for a clamshell. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Please keep talking. Please, please don't expand uh, on that joke. So it's a mermaid by the name of Brandy goes around, and she meets this handsome sea captain by the na- name of Mike Glenn Morgan. Brom Vanderzee. Brom Vanderzee, yes. A lot of handsome sea captains. As you could tell from looking at the front of this cover or anything about it, basically, uh, this man is budding chins with a, a pinup blonde, which uh, Brandy is not. Uh, and so Brandy really wants to uh, marry Mike, but he's a, he's a, or Mike Glenn Morgan, Mad Mike Glenn Morgan is, or Matt, Mike Mad Glenn Morgan, I don't know, is this uh, pirate captain, and there's a whole convoluted tale, but uh, Brandy really wants to marry him, and so finally Mike has to set her down, because he's, he's not really interested, and he has to say, like, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you what would be. What a good, fine wife you would be, but my life, my love, and my lady is the sea, and so they can't be together, and then the book ends, but we all jam out. Oh, man, That's that would true. be a good book. So the mer- I wish because then it wouldn't be four hundred and forty-eight pages. Oh, wow. Four hundred and forty-four. Excuse me. Uh, the mermaid's name is Meg. Meg the mermaid. This takes place during, before, after the Revolutionary War. I don't really know. Um, the main thing I will talk about this book is in the writing of it, but the plot is stupid, incredibly convoluted. This is a bodice ripper banging book. And it's 444 pages, which is too long at all mm-hmm. for a bodice-ripping banger book. And so I, I could not stick to it because it's like you had sex within the first 110 pages. That's less than a quarter of the way through. What are we going to do for the rest of this time? And the answer is shit all else and overly convoluted things. So I started skipping around, and I'm sorry, but I did. So I started skipping around, and I, I originally only skipped like a couple pages at a time, but I must have skipped a really big one because I have absolutely no idea what any of this is talking about. And so you hearing this uh, is about this, the same as me hearing it. All I know is about the gold that he's talking about. Okay. He had lost two nights and a day before I had at last convinced the Admiral that the guns had had to be destroyed to keep them from falling into the hands of the Spaniards. What? I, I, I skipped about 30 pages. I didn't know what the heck that was. As for Frenau, the Raven was hardly equal to the task of taking on San Marco in a foolhardy attempt to get the Frenchman back again. <laughs> I, didn't, I was not introduced to that person. <laughs> Finally, his patient had an end, at an end. Glenn Morgan had pointed out that, thanks to himself, the king had an healthy addition to his war chest, this, uh, which is the gold. The smuggling inspiring in the West Indies and Southern colonies, I don't know what you're talking about, and the munitions meant to incite a war between Britain's Indian allies had been destroyed. I don't know what that's talking about. So I I must have missed a lot because it kind of just comes and goes, the plot-related things, where I don't know. I just, I don't know what was going on. (laughs) That the original plot is there's a man and he's back and he was a pirate, but he got a pardon for some reason. And, uh... He is going to meet his, like, ex-girlfriend that he also hates but has cast a spell over him and he can't ditch her. And she's married to his enemy. And so there's a a fight between the guys and she set it up because she wants to kill him too or something. And so the mermaid saves him and brings him back to life and they fall in love or whatever. But he's looking for his dad's gold that was a business and it was being sent to britain and the ship was both mutinied on and was lost in a hurricane 
And so the... That classic mutiny hurricane one-two punch. Yeah, so I don't know why the gold sank or where it was or why he needs it. And I read a lot of this book. It's just like, what are you even talking about? And you know, in like the second act of romantic comedies when Mm -hmm. they have to be mad at each other, this entire book, they're just like mad at each other and she won't do like anything. Like she just kind of like stalks off all the time and they're always mad. How does she stalk off if she's a mermaid? She gets legs. You can oh. walk around and... How does she get legs? She just has them. You can just, like, walk around and be on land if you're a mermaid, I guess. But you gotta go back to the sea every once in a while. So, is she Is she Don't gonna... get bogged down in the plot. It's a, it's a lady and she's hot or is whatever. Is she gonna... Is she gonna live with him on the land uh, She's gonna turn him into a mermaid or something. I don't oh. know. That was at the very end. Is she gonna talk to the the sea witch named Ursula and he's gonna exchange his yeah. voice in, order, in for a fin? Legs. No, because she won't stop talking. Um, the writing is the main thing I want to talk about, and it's bad. Um, the writer describes Meg the mermaid as being very extraordinarily beautiful with these, like, wide, childlike eyes. And I don't really want anyone who's supposed to be, like, boner material being described as childlike. No, no, not at all. Her eyes in the same sentence are both childlike and seductive. I think he just really should have stuck with the her eyes would steal a sailor from the sea. That's <laughs> um, that's the only metaphor we need to go with here. I didn't really realize that this was a thing, but it is uh, like now that I think about it, quite the stereotype where the writing in these sorts of bodice rippers is terrible and bad in that it's way overdone all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's also so many adverbs. And an adverb is not something you really think about until you like, see too many or, of them. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't really uh, consider it until you think about it. And it's really bad writing because someone can slam the door, but if they slam the door angrily, then angrily really doesn't need to be there. You've got weak writing. If we didn't know that he was slamming it angrily, right? Mm-hmm. And so pretty much every single thing somebody says is a saying noun. It's not said. But it's a saying noun followed by an adverb every single time. Or just like a thing that someone doesn't do. So instead of saying it, they might smile it. I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to smile all my words, words at you. you. Yeah. Uh, page 11. We get to just the cream of the crop. And I mean that with every pun. The reason to etra for don't write like this manuals. A pardon. Good God. You cannot mean it ejaculated thornton using ejaculated as a said noun in a sex book especially on a sex book especially in on page 11 we do not set see and there is dialogue from page one we do not see our first said until page 13 everything somebody does is grinned or retorted or growled or smirked or smiled or ejaculated we do not see the second said until 38 Oh, no. I was counting for a while. I stopped. There are 444 pages. There's dialogue on every single one of them. I'm willing to bet we would have ended up with less than 100 saids. And other than the, said should probably be the most common word in your book. Yeah, and I think the reason for that is that if the dialogue is well written, you eventually just start to ignore the word said. Yeah, it's it's just like you should understand how they're talking to each other if Mm -hmm. you know where this is going. Uh, we get some amount of pirate voice. Oh, dear. Is it good? Nope. Uh, oh, good. 
when the first time they make out, we get the I'm going to hit you, but the man blocks it, and then they grab each other and make out. Um, they did it. They do it a lot. and That's one of my least favorite things about romance novels is that Snobbles? they're always mad at each other, and they're always, like, she's always trying to, like, hit him. Yeah, in some fashion. And he grabs her and wrist. Like, that happens in every single one. Yeah. And it's, like, it's yeah. not attractive. Res- physical restrainment is not really where I'm no. at. Uh, we fall in love. We've gotten the goal that we were looking for, and we're back home. And there are 200 pages. Oh, no. What happened in those 200 pages? Apparently, you got me because I didn't know. uh, 275, uh, the writing is going to describe Michael's sister. So this is is also like omnipresent narrator hopping into anyone's brain Mm. as there's something to be described. And so we, we like are following one character for eight pages. And then for half a page, we're following just some dude. Uh, let me see here. 275. (laughs) No, I must have meant 273. Oh, yeah. Michael, he glanced up to see a slender female in a rose-colored gown staring at him from the foot of the stairway. She was no taller than the last time he had seen her. She had reached then to his shoulder. This is his sister but instead had filled out in that lovely, mysterious way of a woman. Before, she had seemed all arms and legs. Now, she was all soft, feminine curves. Oh, gross. And her hair, as raven black and as ruly as his own, was no longer parted in the middle and wore and subdued in severe pigtails down her back. Gathered neatly back from the forehead, it fell in soft curls from the crown down to her shoulders. No longer the freckle-faced tomboy he had taught to fish and sail a boat, She was a strikingly beautiful woman with the determined chin and wide-set intelligent eyes, reminiscent of their mothers. Unable to recognize this full-bodied young woman the kid sister had seven years before had begged him to take a pirating and fell the heart sting of emotion. Okay, that's gross. And also, how old is the sister? Uh, 21, I believe. Oh, I mean, not that that makes it better, but kind of, I guess. At least she's not still 13. Yeah, uh, Meg's grandpa, who is fully human, is going to start banging uh, Mike's mom. So that's kind of weird. Now they're going to be siblings. Uh, A lot of his... Her grandfather will be banging his mom. Oh, okay. Yep, weird. Still weird. Uh... A lot of people are describing things as female, which I've grown to see is very, very odd because mm-hmm. hardly ever do you get male except when you're talking about nipples. Or, for instance, the adverbs go way too far all the time, but especially when they say, in- this makes no sense. Like, how can you mix a metaphor in three words? Intriguingly, intriguingly, intriguingly masculine nipples. Ugh. I imagine someone with like a... a Measuring, or not a measuring glass, a magnifying glass, like, hmm, intriguing. These seem to be male nipples. I want to know more about these nipples. So it's bad. It's bad. It's no fun. Well, that's a bummer. I was really excited about this one. Yeah, oh, well, we can maybe just cut this one up to a short one. It is just, it is too long, as bad, as gross. Okay. So the goal is less than 300 pages, stupid, not that badly written. Yeah, stupid fun. Yeah, stupid Crazy. fun. This one is just like... Crazy go nuts. Why are we still going? Yeah. It's never good to be the kid on a road trip. He's like, are we there yet? Mm, that's how I felt throughout my whole book. Me too. Yeah. Oh, well, well. Um, You want to play chess or something? Sure. Okay, imagine it at home. 
pawn, c4. Boom! It's covered in c4. Hey, what do cow gangsters uh, join? Um. The Mufia. Oh, no. <laughs> one of my students made that up today. That's good. That was a pretty good one. That's a good one. I liked it a lot better when I found out that you didn't make it up. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Story of my life. Anybody I'm else? Kidding. Anybody else says anything equally funny? I kid. Other people laugh at it. Anyway. Anyway, that's gonna do it, I guess, for this episode of Billy Wild. It's a quick one. It's a quick one, but so am I. Uh, and we will see you back in two weeks for a non-Otherworld episode. But then after that, a month from now, thanks to a Thanksgiving recording session, if everything goes according to plan. We'll be back in other world and god I, I think i need it i am going to be rereading a book this time oh, for yeah. Otherworld. rereading vale. crimson veil vale, the book that launched seven podcast ships. episodes yeah very very exciting um i guess you can check us out on twitter or whatever uh, sorry this was kind of a weird episode but these books were just kind of blase didn't leave a lot to the imagination they were like the dinner i cooked that was chicken mashed potatoes and cauliflower <laughs> very beige very very beige the dinner was delicious these books not so much so you can find me on twitter at dickima d-i-c-k-i-m-a-a you can find susan on twitter at J S with three U's S A N J. The intro music to our podcast, as mentioned before, is "Babe of the Night" by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Go to that YouTube and comment that Bibliovile sent you there. I will be waiting, Charles. Yeah, Matt. Hi, um, Matt. Uh, okay, I, I guess that oh, it, that's mind. it. Uh, subscribe. Great, I love you. Good night. <laughs>